are at the, the last of our Level Up series. We have made it. We've been at this for two months, and you've been putting up with our videos for two months, so thank you um, for letting us do that, and uh, we're going to complete this. But let's just pause and review for a second, right? We've been going through this series about Level Up, where we've got our acronym Power Up, right? And you want to you get power ups along your way. And the acronym stands for PRAY. And if you remember, PRAY was that we can come before God uh, without shame, even impudently, right? We can come before God as a, uh, as a father, and we can come before him and ask anything we want. We, we can offer. We can offer the things that we have, and by giving of ourselves and our time and our possessions, God will change us. And we can worship. And worship is just mostly about saying, you are God, and I'm not, right? So we can come before God and give him the honor that he's due. And then we can endure. Because on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity, life is going to be rough from time to time. You've probably figured that out already. And we need to endure and stick with our faith as we go. And then we need to read Scripture. Because you can go out into the forest, you can go out into the wilderness and experience God's creation, and you can say, wow, this is amazing, but you can't learn about the God who loves you so much. You can't learn about who God is and how he cares about you without his revelation in Scripture. And then we can uplift. We can tell others about that good news and share it with one another. We can encourage and uplift our neighbor and we can provide. We can serve for one another. And we can share of our time and our resources and change them and us at the same time. But, now we've been talking to you for the last two months on this. And you've, it's worthy to ask the question, why do this? We're going to revisit that question that we asked the first week. Why should we do this? Why should we do this? 10 different, or these, these power-ups. Why should we practice these faith practices? You know, we talked about how they get you out of a rut, how they help you to establish new patterns, how they change your behavior and change uh, you as you go along. But why? Is it so that you'll have, like, a better faith? Is it so that we could have, like, the best church in town? Right? Look at how buff our Christians are here, Right? Is it so that we can show up for the uh, faith playoffs and always win because we have been exercising our power-ups? Is it bragging rights? You know, uh, I sat down with these other pastors and, well, you know, mine are all powered up. How about yours? Or, I mean, is it because we're trying to, Im to impress God? Are we thinking that it might affect our salvation? Are we thinking that it might uh, make him love us more? No, none of that. We're going to start with the same question that we started with. Why do we do this? To answer a question. Are you fulfilled? This is the question that we started with two months ago. Is there a void in your life? Is there a discontentment? Uh, something that you can't always put your finger on. You know, when you think about it, you're like, you know, things are going well. But something's just kind of, I don't know. Is there a piece that you are missing? And the power-ups 
We're a reaction to that. We're going to do the power-up plan to solve that, right? Ten easy steps. I'm going to sell this on an infomercial, I think, you know. Just follow this power-up and it'll change your life. Ten easy steps, right? What? Wait, there's more. Called now. The operators are standing by. This is not what the power-ups do. They help us put on a plan. They help us to prepare ourselves. They help us to move along that path, but they are not an end in themselves. Think about an Olympic training uh, program. So, you, you know, you put a guy in an Olympic training program, and he's got some bit of talent, and you put him in this program. Does that make a winning Olympian if the program is right? No, there's a something that he needs. There's something that she needs in order to be that Olympian. It's not just the training. It takes some heart, right? There needs to be some passion, some zeal for it. There needs to be something driving them. Then the program can do its work. The power-ups are just steps along the way. There has to be a, a zeal or a passion driving them. There has to be something inside you that says, I want to do this. I want to spend that time that way. So just following the power-up plan won't provide the peace that you're looking at, the peace that you need. And I know this from experience. So I grew up in this church. I was short at one point. You know, I went through Sunday school, and I went through confirmation, and I confirmed my faith, as our students did last week. And I went, to, I went to college, and I studied religion. And I went to seminary, and I studied. And I had all of the theology figured out and right. I understood the difference between law and gospel. I understood grace, and I understand works. And I understood all of these things. But I got to a point where it wasn't enough. I'd followed the power-up plan, right? The Olympian training to become a seminary and to become a pastor, and there was something missing. And at one point in my life, my faith actually grew cold. And I longed for something more. There was that void that I couldn't fill. And I thought if I went to seminary and studied this, if I, if I just got it all right, that it would sort of fall into place. But it didn't. And so I began to pray, Lord, I don't know what it is, but there's something missing. And so I began to seek him honestly. And so I'm going to ask you this question this morning. Is God real to you, or is he just a set of ideals? Is he just some theology that you're following, that you're hoping will make your life better? And even at the end of the Power Up series, maybe you're thinking to yourself, these will certainly fix things for me and solve that void. Is it something that you're Noticing is missing. And for me, it was. And so I began to pray, God, help me to know that you're real. Help me to understand who you are. Lord, this isn't just all for naught, is it? 
I will say that God answered my prayer. He renewed me. I wouldn't be standing before you today without that. But I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But I want to know where you're at. This is an honest question. Just think for a moment. Do you come to church because you think you should? Do you come to church because I want to raise moral kids? Do you come to church because you think you need to in order to achieve salvation? Do you come to church because it's just sort of uh, making sure that my bases are covered when I die? Or do you come to church just to be with friends? Or do you come to church for God? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced God in such a way that he was real to you? More real than you've ever known. Maybe you have. Maybe you have and, and it's been a long time. And you have grown cold. Maybe it's something recent and, and you're just, I can't wait to tell people. We talked about this at staff on Tuesday. And some have and some haven't experienced a sense of, of, of God's presence in their heart so real like that. For some, it had been years. For others, very recent. But it touched them when it did. And some hadn't experienced it at all. So we're going to turn to our scripture today, and we're going to look at, of all places, Exodus, to talk about finding God and seeking God. Because this gives us a blueprint, it gives us a clue on how to be renewed. 2 Corinthians talks about when you're in Christ, you are a new creation. And this gives us an idea of how to be renewed. Or if you haven't been renewed, maybe just nude for the first time. N-E-W-E-D. You know what I'm talking about. So let's take a look. I love this, this uh, uh, cartoon. Just captures the moment, right? I don't know if you can make this out, but this is Moses leading the people through the Red Sea. Can you think about that? Can you imagine that? You're walking through the Red Sea. On each side of you is these walls of water, and you realize that God has saved you and brought you out of slavery. What an experience of God that you wouldn't forget, right? Can you imagine that? so real for them. And yet they, they quickly forget. A little bit later in Exodus, we read that Moses has gone up on the mountain, and he's been up there for 40 days. And what happens? When the people saw that Moses was delayed to come down from the mountain, he's running late, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Interesting, right? We saw God act that way. We saw him bring us through the Red Sea, and yet they got distracted. And so they're trying to fill a void. They know that there's a void there, and they're trying to fill it. And what do they fill it with? A golden calf. 
They get together all of their jewelry and they melt it and they make a golden calf. And you think, how silly of them, right? To have known God so like that and then to sort of just walk away. And yet, I think we do the same thing, don't we? We find things to distract ourselves with. You know, we go to shows, we watch the Vikings lose. We distract ourselves with all kinds of things. We entertain ourselves trying to fill this void. And here they're doing the same thing, trying to fill that void with a golden calf because they know they need something. And we know we need something too. And that's why we try and fill it, but nothing seems to do the task. So the story continues. Go up to, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. This is God telling them. But I will not uh, go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. That's interesting. God responds, like, I, I see what you're doing there. Go ahead, go to the land that I promised you, but I'm not going to go with you because I'm, I might uh, enact justice on you. I might destroy you. But when the people heard this disastrous word, Right? They mourned, and no one could put on any ornaments. They mourned because they realized what they had done and that they needed God, and He won't go with us. They're getting everything that they wanted. He's sending them to the, to the beautiful promised land, but He's not going with them. If God gave you everything that you wanted, but said, I'm not going to go with you, would you take it? If God said, you can go to heaven, that's fine, but I'm not going to be there, would it be worth it? And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Moses interjects for them, wait a minute, Lord, don't, please, don't send us away without you. We need you. Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Without you going with us, what's the point? Lord, we need you. We have that void. We have that hole. We need you to come with us. We need you to be a part of that. So Moses pleads with God. And God responds, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. I will come with you, Moses. I will go with you. And I will know you by name. This is a sign of love. I love you. I know you by name. I know how many hairs are on your head. I will go with you. And then Moses poses this very interesting question this very interesting request for God. Please, show me your glory. God has already said, I'll go with you. God's already said, you've got the promised land. You should be fine. And Moses says, show me your glory. What's he saying? He's saying it's not enough. He's saying, Lord, 
we don't want just the promised land. We just don't want your blessing. We want you. Show me your goodness, Lord. I want to know more. I want to know you. I want to love you. Give me that desire. Teach me that. I'm just not satisfied with those other things. I want you. And so the Lord descends from the cloud. We all know, we've heard this story in Sunday school. Maybe the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. It's interesting. He asked for his goodness. Pay attention to what he's doing here. He's proclaiming something. He proclaimed the name of the Lord, and he passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Show me your glory. What was his glory? The name of the Lord, and the name of the Lord was this truth, that I'm a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, a forgiving God, a God of love, a God that we can trust. But that's not it. There's a comma here. God also says, but who will by no means, he's talking about himself, I will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. He says, part of my goodness is that I am just and I punish sin. Interesting, right? Show me your glory, Lord. He shows him two things, loving and just. And we try and separate them a lot of times. Like if we just had a loving God, you know, it's great. I'm okay, you're okay, God's just got us covered. Is that really love? Is that really what a parent would do for a, for a child that they loved? Ah, you're fine. But then the other side is I am just and I will punish sin and iniquities. And if you just have a God that's that way, then you can never live up. Then you become full of yourself if you think that you are living up to that. He is both loving and just. And we see this come together. Exodus is giving us a foretaste of the future because on the cross we see those two halves of God's goodness in full display. On the cross we see God's love, him dying for us. And we see his justice as he pays for the sin that is due us. The sins that we committed, the sin that and the punishment that was due us. The two halves of God's goodness are shown there. Show me your glory. Look at the cross. The glory is right there. The two halves of God's goodness. So we go back to my original question. Do you have a void? Is there something that you're missing? Is it possibly because you're trying to live life on your own? Is it possibly because we're trying to fill it with all kinds of other things, but we're missing out on God's goodness and his glory? Moses knew this. He knew that life wasn't worth living without God in his life. Lord, show me your glory. And on the cross, we see that glory, and it's available to us. And he's done it for me. I said earlier that 
that I wouldn't be standing in front of you if God had not put his presence upon me and I had seen his goodness. Because all of that head knowledge that I had, all of the stuff that I had in my head about uh, law and gospel, about faith and good works and about grace, without the living God behind it, it's kind of meaningless. It's just a philosophy among others. But with the living God, it's transforming. And so when I was cold, I began to pray, Lord, guide me. Lord, I, I don't know what's going on, but I know I need you. That's how the prayer always begins. Show me your glory, I prayed. Although I didn't use those words, this is what I was after. Lord, I need to know you. I need to know you're there. And slowly but surely, God started revealing to me. And I felt it upon my heart. And it changed me. It transformed me. And I want nothing else, and I want that for everyone. And that's why I stand up here before you today, because it's good. His goodness is for you, and it's so good. I went through life without God for a long time. Even though I thought he was in my life, I was going through the motions. And I realized that it's not worth going without him. So I'm going to challenge you. Are you going to continue to live your life without God? Maybe you're far down this road. Maybe you're ahead of me. And you're like, preach it, Mark. I have been there. And I love God so much. But maybe you're at the point where you're like, wow, this, this has turned really weird real quick, right? And it seems pretty intense. But I want that for you. I want you to know God's goodness. I want you to know his goodness upon your heart, and I want you to sense his presence in your life. I want it to be more than just a set of ideals in your life, a way to make your kids moral, to do what you think you should do. I want you to love God with your whole heart. I don't want you to love God because he can give you things or because he's promised you salvation. I want you to love God because of his goodness and to see the beauty that is within him. You know, this is very, this has happened many times throughout the Bible, where God has revealed himself to people and transformed them. I mean, think about the disciples. This is my favorite story. The disciples saw Jesus three years, right? They lived with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They, they, he taught them all the way along the, the road. And then he died, and they were hiding in the upper room. They had lost all of their faith in God. They didn't know what to believe. And even after the resurrected Jesus came back, they weren't sure what to do. And God said, wait for me, because I will go with you. And so then he appears to them. The Holy Spirit comes into the upper room and transforms them. And the first thing out of their mouth is to speak of his goodness. This Jesus that has died is resurrected. And it's good news for you and it's good news for me. The king is alive and reigning. And you too can be a part of the kingdom. 
I think we should be a church that lives that way. A church that lives as though the kingdom is here. Yes, I realize the kingdom is not fully complete and not yet, but, but God is living in our midst among us. So here's my challenge for you. Do you know the living God? Have you ever experienced a presence on your heart so real that there's no other way to explain that? If you have, I'm excited for you. Maybe it's been a while and maybe you've grown cold, but if you haven't yet experienced that and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, what is this guy talking about today? I just don't get it. I want this for you. Now, we're not talking sort of kookiness. We're not talking sort of, uh, you know, Middle Eastern or, or mysticism or anything. We're talking about a living God that speaks through Scripture, that loves each and every one of you. You know, I know people can get twitchy when we start talking about this stuff, right? Oh, it's the crazy church down the street. Like, be careful about that. Like, oh, I didn't realize atonement was turning into that crazy church. We're not. I mean, we've got solid theology. We understand Scripture. We test all of these things. Does Scripture back this up? Is this really what God is saying for us? But you look through Scripture, and Moses prays for God's presence and his glory. David says, do not turn me away from your presence. I can't live without it. Elijah was revealed, God revealed to him. The disciples saw God and God's presence was revealed to them on Pentecost. Paul was changed from a criminal that was seeking after Christians to writing half of the New Testament. The passion and transforming power that the real presence of God had in his life. John gives us the vision of revelation that gives us some of the most beautiful passages of the Bible so that we know that God loves us and that someday there will be a new heaven and a new earth reuniting where we will live with him forever. Show me your glory. This is my challenge to you. Are you settling for stuff instead of the Savior? Are you settling for crumbs when you could be eating the feast that he has prepared for him? Are you settling for the things that he can offer rather than him? I don't want you to settle for that. I want you to think about that. And that's my challenge for you today. That you just, you don't have to do anything today. I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm not going to pull a Billy Graham and ask you to come down, hundreds of you right now. But I do want you to pray about this. And I want you to think about this. Is my faith just a set of ideals or is there something more going on? Do I want that? And if you do, begin with this. Lord, show me your glory. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, but what can I expect? Well, it's God. You should expect God. You can expect him maybe to move quickly 
or slowly. It might take years before you sense that, but we should always pray for, Lord, I want you above everything else. It's a gift. And it's a gift that over time, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, God will be there when you need him, as he was for me. And it can transform you in the same way that it transformed Paul, that it transformed Moses, that it transformed Mark. So at this point, we're going to share the Lord's Supper. And I think it's appropriate to step right into this because Jesus tells us that he will be truly there when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. His presence is in the bread and the wine that you eat today. And that's a wonderful place to start. So we're going to have communion. And when you're done, I would like you to pray about this and just think about this. And if you feel compelled to do this, DJ and Becky will be available in the back to pray with you. And um, if, if, but you, if you're upper Midwestern like me and you'd prefer to just think about it for a while, please do. Can you bring me the elements, DJ? In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took this bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is the body of Christ given for you. And again after supper, he took the cup. He gave thanks and he gave it to drink saying, this cup is the New Testament, the forgiveness of sins for you and for all people. Do this in remembrance of me. I will be with you when you eat of this bread and drink of this cup. You will see my glory because at the same time, we understand his death, but we understand his presence and his goodness. For Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is alive. And Christ will come again. Ushers will lead you forward for communion.